Hey everyone, before we start this week's episode, I just wanted to let you all know that we're having a promo on our podcast. If you record a short message on your phone about the podcast and email it to us, you may hear your recording at the end of one of our future episodes. Email us at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Tyrus Arist was murdered on August 17th, 2018, and this is his mother's story. Hello. Hi, it's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Hi. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Moose Jaw lies on the Moose Jaw River and is in the province of Saskatchewan in Canada. It is an industrial centre and an important railway junction for the great agricultural produce. The Canadian Forces base in Moose Jaw is a NATO flight training centre and home to the Snowbirds, which are the Canadian military's aerobatic airshow flight demonstration team. Moose Jaw has a trolley company that offers lovely trolley rides touring the city. They also have a unique way of reliving history with a live theatre presentation on a variety of historical topics presented while in a guided tour of their underground tunnels. These tunnels were originally built as an underground steam system that was abandoned. They were then used to hide Chinese railway workers to escape persecution. Entire families lived in these tunnels. There are numerous reports that Al Capone came to Moose Jaw, and during Prohibition, it is reported that these tunnels warehoused illegal alcohol that was shipped to the U.S. Moose Jaw is located right along the Trans-Canada Highway, and with the railway so accessible, meat processing plants, salt, potash, and ethanol producers are plentiful. River Park Campground is in Moose Jaw and is the longest running campground in North America. Tell me about the day that Tyrus was born. Tyrus was born on December 21st, 1996. He was actually early. He was almost a month early. He was due, I was due with him in January. And I was finishing my grade 12 still. And I was sitting in Christmas Lits that day at Peacock Collegiate. And I remember I was having trouble sitting still. It was the last day of school. And I was really fidgety. And I kept getting up and leaving the auditorium and having to go for a walk. And my teacher got upset at me and asked why I kept leaving. And I almost felt a surge of rage. I was so impatient. I was like, I can't sit here. (laughs) Yeah, like, and it was totally different. He's my second child. He has a sister who was 16 months older than him. So it wasn't my first experience of birth. Just, I was antsy. I couldn't sit still. So I ended up leaving school that day. And uh, I went bingo that night. Oh, my goodness. I had like cramping, but not, can't really say contractions. Anyway, I won at bingo. So I stayed for late night bingo. It was a Friday night. And I started getting really bad contractions. <laughs> so and, and all this time, you just thought you were uncomfortable. They weren't pains when I was in labor with my daughter. It was more like serious cramping, like just uncomfortable. Yeah. So I left bingo, and the bingo hall was right directly behind my apartment where I lived at the time. So I went home, and uh, my older sister lived in the same building as me, so I called upstairs to her, and I said, uh, Hey, Carrie, 
is your husband doing snow removal tonight? Because they did snow removal. And she's like, yeah, he was cleaning the mall parking lot. You want to ask him if he could maybe hurry? Because Lloyd, who is Tyrus' father, wasn't home. And I said, I'm having contractions, and I need somebody to stay with Shaylee and your kids, too, because I need you to take me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and she's like, well, how bad are the pains? And I'm like, well, they're not really bad, but they're only about four or five minutes apart. Oh, so you were really, really far along, and your right? your labor had been yeah. sort of a fun one, just hanging out at bingo. <laughs> well, this is the pregnancy, like, they had told me I miscarried Tyrus a few months before. Oh. Like, I had had a bleeding episode and had been at the hospital for a couple of days, and they had told me I miscarried him. They couldn't find a trace of him. Then a couple months later, I found out I was still pregnant with him. Like, he was truly the miracle baby. Wow, that yeah, is so, amazing. Yeah, so we ended up finally getting to the hospital. I don't know, I think it was about 5 o'clock in the morning by the time my brother-in-law got home and we got there. And my contractions weren't really getting any worse, but I was about six centimeters dilated already, but they couldn't feel Tyrus's head down. I didn't feel any pressure. So my doctor was Dr. Magne at the time. She called in a specialist, Dr. Chan, to come check me because I was dilating but wasn't feeling any pressure. Dr. Chan confirmed that he couldn't feel the baby's head down. He basically told me, Tyrus's heart started to go erratic on the fetal stress monitor when they were checking me and stuff, and Dr. Chan was trying to get him to turn. He said he could feel Tyrus's hand, but he couldn't feel his head. And the more they tried to turn him, the more he moved away from them, and he got himself actually wedged right underneath of my rib cage. He was what they called transverse. So he was literally, his butt was stuck under my rib cage and my uterus was contracting and folding him in half feet down and hands down but his head not in the birth canal okay. so i got rushed for an emergency c-section tyrus was born by emergency c-section where he actually i was sleeping his heart rate was dropping really quickly when they put me to sleep and when he was born my sister was in there with me they had a hard time keeping him breathing. He breathed in my amniotic fluid because they delivered his head, I guess, and got his head out, but his butt was that stuck. Mm. That amniotic fluid spilled over his face. They went to pull him out and couldn't get him out and had to, I guess, cut my uterus straight up. They called it the inverted T to get him out safely, and then they kept him in the nursery for the first 48 hours because they had to keep cleaning his lungs out because he filled his lungs with my amniotic fluid. And how was his big sister when you brought him home? What was the relationship like there on those first couple of months? They were always the best of friends. Oh, isn't that lovely? The best of friends. Wow. Even, even into like through high school, they had the same friends group because they were only 16 months apart. In the city we grew up in, we had I live in Moose Jaw. They were known as the sibling duo. Oh, that's so where cute. You, where you found one, you found the other. They never strayed too far from each other. And everybody knew that because it wasn't very often that you seen a brother and sister that hung out like they did. That's for sure. Absolutely not. Yeah. That must yeah. have made and you feel happy that they had such a close relationship. Yeah. Yeah. He was a pretty lovable guy. <laughs> For the ones that he loved, he was a pretty lovable guy. Are there other siblings as well? Yeah, he has. So I also have another daughter. He has a younger sister, Dahlia, okay. who he is just about four years older than. And then he also has siblings on his father's side. He has two other brothers and two other sisters and a baby brother who passed before him. So now what was what was he like as a child? Um, he was wild. <laughs> so his name was Tyrus, but uh, his nickname was always the virus. <laughs> always called him virus because you unleashed him and he just caused chaos like a virus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cute. That's cute. He was so busy and so curious about absolutely everything. I can remember him as a baby and I'd say to my mom, Mom, he's so loud and destructive and she'd say Stacy he's a baby and I'd say 
I know, but like Shaylee, you'd hand her a rattle and she'd rattle, rattle. Oh, it makes noise, right? <laughs> Tyrant, she would hand him a rattle and he'd rattle, rattle. And then he'd like look at it and shake it again. Like what's inside of that? Oh. And then it was a mission. There's something in that. And he would like violently bang the rattle like he was trying to break it open to see what's inside of it. He was also the child that once he figured out doors and stuff, if he woke up at 5.30 in the morning, he didn't know it was 5.30 in the morning and he didn't know he wasn't supposed to go outside and play in the sandbox next door. Oh, boy. Oh, right? boy. Yes. Like, he just, no, no fear, no consequence. Like, he just, it's like in his mind he was on an adventure every day or something. I don't know. And what was he like in school? When he was little, I had him tested for attention deficit disorder and attention deficit hyper disorder because he was really fidgety, hard to sit still. He had like no interest. I remember leading up to school, he didn't have interest in like learning his colors. And I remember trying to teach him his ABCs and I would always try and sing with him and Shaylee when they were little, when we went for our evening walk and stuff, and they were close in age. And I remember we were walking and Shaylee's singing her ABCs and trying to encourage Tyrus. And she's telling me, he knows his ABCs, mom. He just doesn't sing them. And he just all of a sudden starts singing them all. And I'm like, you know them all? She's like, yeah. <laughs> so he just doesn't like to do it. Tyrus was an outspoken, active boy who seemed to be labeled by his teachers and peers as the bad kid. He was being bullied, and there seemed to be a lack of understanding of challenging behavior on the part of the staff, or even perhaps his mistreatment and bullying by other students was the cause or at least a contributing factor to his negative behaviors at school. Many teachers saw the potential in Tyrus, saw the really sweet, loving, wonderful boy that he was, the boy his mother saw at home. He wasn't in school for very long and he seemed to be labeled the bad kid. Oh, so that was hard on you, I, I guess. I don't know, it's your instinct to stand up for your child, right? Absolutely. And it seemed like he was always in trouble if he stood up for himself. Oh, my But goodness. it was okay for other kids to pick on him. Like, I just didn't get it. And it tore his older sister's world apart because she was only a grade ahead of him. And she was always saying, you know, like, yeah, Mom, he's bad at school, but they're jerks to him. She would tell me that the teachers didn't treat him properly. And, yeah, it was heartbreaking. I felt like I was the only one fighting for him. Like I was the only one that was speaking for him all the time, right? It was like nobody else believed him. Like I was the only one that ever believed him that had a voice for him. In the school system, when he'd get into trouble or the teachers would pick on him, he'd be like, Mom, I didn't, like, I didn't do it. And they don't believe me. They never believe me. They won't, they won't listen to me. They won't listen to me. So I always told him, like, I will always believe you. I will always listen to you right so I just always felt like I was the one forever trying to voice his innocence and why do you think point. that was I don't know I think just because how Tyrus felt he just said it he just he didn't candy coat anything I don't know right I don't know he just so he had a like, great a great uh, a great way of just speaking his mind which is good in a lot of areas and a lot of ways in life but sometimes he would do it maybe in the you know sort of what schools call the inappropriate times so he got deemed sort of a troublemaker in that way. Yeah and then there was a couple teachers though that just absolutely loved him and advocated for him and like the one teacher she brought it right to light and one of his friend's moms about another teacher at the school that totally went out of her way to pick at him. Oh my goodness. These people shouldn't be yeah, teaching. <laughs> the couple teachers that were good to him though were so good to him, advocated for him for a long time. Kyrus befriended the lost souls all the time. He's seen people that were like, you know, I used to refer to him and his boys he grew up with. There was a small group of them that were pretty close that grew from boys right through to young men and 
we always kind of referred to them as the lost boys because they were a group of boys who didn't have their dads being raised by single moms and we were just trying to do the best that we could do and they just kind of clung to each other right he was so lovable he just had this way about him he would you know hug you and be like I love you mama and he just it was like everything just went away when he hugged you he was so lovable just so pure such a pure pure soul poured so much love into everything that he did he was non-judgmental it didn't matter what color your skin was or whether you were rich or poor Tyrus seen people for who they were and his pure heart is what led him astray because you couldn't make him see the bad in people he just seen the good he just seen the good always seen the good always always wanted to help even though he wasn't always in the best of circumstances, that kid would take the shirt right off of his back and give it to someone else if they needed it more. He had the most beautiful brown eyes. Like his eyes almost had a sparkle to them. When you look, when I look back over all my photos of him, even as just a baby, like his eyes sparkle. He has this twinkle in his eye. Tyrus's mom, Stacy, was born in Toronto, Ontario. She lived there until she was five years old. Her family decided to move to Moose Jaw, where she lived and then had her own family. Stacy's family was very close and they spent a lot of time together. And then, on December 21st, 1996, when Tyrus was born, everybody knew he was such a special baby. He could just light up a room, and he brought comfort to those that he loved. He grew up in Moose Jaw his whole life. His extended family loved him, and they would all see each other and enjoyed spending time together. Tyrus had many aunts and uncles, cousins and grandparents, that always looked forward to spending time with him. He brought so much joy to his mother. She loved him so much and always wanted nothing but the best for him. Tyrus had many friends and was very close with his family. Growing up, he certainly was full of energy and curiosity. He enjoyed hanging out with his older sister. They were the best of friends from the day he was born and they spent all of their time together. Tyrus was a very loud and excitable baby. You certainly knew what he wanted, and there was no mistaking it, and there was also no waiting to take care of his needs. He didn't sleep the night until he was two and a half years old, and when his grandmother would suggest letting him cry it out, his mother told her, the whole neighborhood will hear him cry he is so loud, and someone will certainly call the police. Tyrus always knew how to get his point across and speak his mind even before he had the words to do so. He had a winning smile that often had him get his way with those that loved him, this handsome, wonderful young boy. When he was a teenager, he started to dabble in the unfortunate world of drugs. Such a terrible situation that teenagers are just not equipped to deal with. What was he like with his family? Oh, he was good with us. Like, other than, you know, at the end, there was a lot of disagreements and stuff, but there was addictions at the end, right? Oh, so that makes it challenging. Yeah, but I don't know. Most of his trouble was in school. I didn't see the behavior. Like, I seen other behavior at home, but I didn't see the behavior they spoke about. What goes on inside the walls of your school that causes him to act that way? And you're speaking about addiction. What type of addiction did he get into? And do you think that was partly because of how well, he... Well, he started smoking marijuana at a young age, which they state as a, they claim as a gateway drug. I'm not so sure if I agree with that or not. I don't know. He, as like a older teen, right around adult age, he started doing cocaine. And like you'd hear, I'd hear of things of him, you know, like, I don't know. 
I know a lot of the kids' friends' parents and stuff, right? And our community, our city isn't that big. So a lot of us know each other, and you kind of know what your kids are up to. You hear what's going on, or trouble goes down at one home, and you know the parents and where the kids were partying. So then you get the story of what drugs were found and this and that. And he started hanging with some rough crew, started hanging with people that were known gang affiliates and stuff. Although he was never part of any gangs, he still rolled with people who were. And I knew he was doing meth. That must have been very hard for you to watch. Well, I lost my mind for probably the last year of his life because nobody would listen to me. Nobody would believe me that he was into the hard drugs he was into and that he was hanging out with people that I was scared for his life. Tyrus was a young boy who was being bullied. And then he finds a group of friends who accept him and introduce him to drugs. So he began down the path of self-destruction, the path that no parent wants for their child, the path that led to his murder. Tyrus was at his friend's house. They were hanging out. They had drugs in the house. When two people suddenly burst into the house, one of these armed robbers had a gun. The other is said to have had a machete in the court hearings, but an eyewitness says that he also had a gun. But really? Both are absolutely horrible weapons. Does it really matter what they had? A gun and a machete or two guns? Tyrus, only 21 years old, was sitting on the couch when these two thugs broke in and one held a gun to Tyrus's head while the other beat up his friend. They took the drugs and were getting ready to leave when the murderer went back into the room and pointed the loaded gun at Tyrus. This is the story of Tyrus Aris's murder. Tell me about the day that you found out that your son had been murdered. It was my birthday that day. Oh, how horrible for you. It was my birthday. I'd woke up that morning and I just felt off. It's almost like I felt the weight of the world off balance. Like I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it's like I could feel that something bad was going to happen I could feel the shift but I didn't know what and I didn't know how to stop it my oldest daughter called me to wish me a happy birthday and I was just pretty quiet and she was in Swift Current at a friend's she was supposed to go to a wedding that night and she's like mom I know it's your birthday she's like but I have this gut sickening feeling that something bad is gonna happen. And I started to cry and I said, I know Shay. And she's like, but I don't know what moment it scares me. And I'm like, I know. She asked me if I'd talk to her brother. And I said, no, I haven't seen him for a couple days. I said, he left here mad at me because he came home all fucked up. And I told him he can't be in my house when he's fucked up like that. So, so. We had an exchange of not nice words and he told me he hated me and he left. And she's like, mom, he doesn't hate you. And I'm like, I know. I said, but I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's at Chandel's or if he's at Ryan Polupski's. And Ryan Polupski's was bad news. That's the house he was killed at. Um, I remember I went for a drive by myself for a little while that afternoon and parked on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. And I cried. And I said, Mom, something's wrong, and I don't know what's wrong, and I can't make sense of it. And she's like, oh, Stacy, it's your birthday. And I'm like, no. I said, I'm worried. I said, I feel like something bad's going to happen, and I don't know where my son is, and I haven't talked to him. I went for a drive that night, and I drove right past the house that my son was killed in. Mm. I was right out front of it, only about an hour before he was killed. I don't know what woke me up but at about 11 15 11 
11.16, somewhere between 11.15 p.m. on August 17th and 11.20, I sat right up out of my sleep on the couch, and I ran for my bathroom, and I puked. And then I cried myself back to sleep. My oldest daughter, Shaylee, phoned me at 1.13 a.m. screaming, asking me if I've heard from my brother because she got messages on Facebook that he was shot in the head. So I sat right up, and the worst night of my life began. I instantly looked at my son's Facebook to see if he was active, and if you knew Tyrus, you knew that he would be online, he would be up all hours of the night, and he hadn't been active since about 5 to 11. So I tried phoning him, and he didn't have minutes on his phone. So I tried to phone him on Facebook, and he didn't pick up. So then I knew something was wrong. So I phoned my daughter back and told her I was phoning the police station. And I just remember phoning back and forth with Shaylee and phoning down to the police station asking if they had reports of somebody being shot or a shooting. And they told me that they couldn't give me any details, but that somebody would take my phone number and call me back. And I screamed into the phone and I said, I just want someone to tell me if my fucking son is dead or alive. I went on a couple hour search party all over this city trying to find my son and nobody would tell me anything. I drove past Ryan Polopsky's house, which is where Tyrus was shot. It was about 1.40 a.m. They tell me my son was killed around 1.25 p.m. So a couple hours after he would have been killed. As I drove down Flax Road, there was one police car outside of the home where my son was killed two hours after his death. The front door was wide open, and I only seen one cop car there. I could see one single officer standing at the base of the stairs inside the door talking to someone, but I didn't see police tape. Nothing was taped off. It definitely didn't look like somebody had just been killed there. So I kept driving. I didn't stop and go in, and I've never in my life been so thankful that I didn't because I don't even know how I would have dealt with what I would have seen. It's now 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'm standing in the front foyer of the police station waiting for an officer to come talk to me, to tell me whether my son is alive or not. Finally, somebody comes to get me and chat from the waiting area, and they take us to the back. I don't really remember what was all said, but I had Shaylee on the phone, and they're asking me questions about Tyrus and what he was wearing that night, and I didn't know because I didn't see him. And Shaylee's saying, Mom, tell them to look at his hands, tell them to look for his tattoos. And I said to them, he had his knuckles tattooed. He had, I got this tattooed on his knuckles. I said, look at his hands. And they said, Stacy, that's why we think it's Tyrus, because of his knuckles and they're tattooed and say, I got this. At this point, we can neither confirm nor deny that Tyrus was shot and killed, was shot in the head and killed. Wow, that must have been just awful, sitting there and they're not even, they're telling you about these tattoos, which are pretty distinct in my opinion, but they can't confirm or deny it. Yeah. That must have been so hard on you. When they told me they needed to know what dental office I dealt with because they needed my son's dental records in order to identify him, I knew right then and there that they blew my son's fucking head off. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Yeah, like, they couldn't identify him. I, I was never allowed to see Ty. I never did get to see him. I never, ever. Oh, really? You could never see him? I begged them to at least leave his hands out so that I could see his hands because I needed to say goodbye. And did they allow you to do that? No, I never got to see him. I hadn't even told my other daughter that he was 
gone and they wanted to know what funeral home to contact like are you kidding me that sounds pretty heartless like they need a little bit of uh, etiquette on how to deal with grieving families so then you had to go home and your other daughter would have been 16 or 17 at the time she was 18 turning 19 and so you had to go home and tell her and and how when did you tell her i had to wake her up from her sleep to tell her oh my goodness her brother had been shot and killed oh my goodness that must have been and and again you have to relive all your pain like telling your daughter and then having to try to deal with her feelings when you're still trying to deal with your own feelings. I don't even know how somebody goes about doing that. For the first couple months, I couldn't get the sound of my daughter's screams out of my head. Word of mouth is such a powerful tool. So please help us to reach as many listeners as possible and tell a friend and let them know that we can be found on their favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our Facebook group, Mourning the Murdered. I want to send a big thank you out there to all of our supporters. A huge shout out to another supporter. So, Marie, thank you. You can donate to the Mourning the Murdered podcast through Patreon or PayPal at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thanks so much for your generosity. And now, back to the show. Oh my, what a terrible thing to have to deal with. Being woken up and told your son may have been shot? You can't possibly believe this is happening. It is not something that anyone expects to have happened to their child. Tyrus's family had suffered another very upsetting time the year before, when Tyrus's mom, Stacy's brother, died of a drug overdose. So I had asked Tyrus to leave my home about a month and a half before he was killed. He had brought hard drugs and brought a gun into my home. And I asked him to leave because my daughter lived here still. Well, of course, it's understandable. I had to put her safety first. And I just couldn't comprehend why he continued to choose to put the drugs in his body that took my brother's life. And it angered me. It angered me. And we fought because of it, right? Right. Anyway, I had asked him to leave. He had come back the beginning of August. He showed up here one night. I was on the deck and he leaned over the gate and said, Mom, I'm scared and I don't have anywhere to go. And the sound in his voice that night and the sound of my daughter's screams, they played on repeat for months in my head. Every time I closed my eyes, I just couldn't get their voices out of my head yes I can see how that could happen I mean that's you know telling your daughter and her reaction being so powerful it's of course going to haunt you and also your son coming to see you and having desperation in his voice that must have just been so hard for you and to he make was decisions so scared that night what a challenging thing to have to deal with as a parent trying so hard to keep our children safe while also trying to keep our home safe. Stacy had to make choices that were so difficult, so heartbreaking, and struggling through all of this, then the court case had to begin, and the struggles that go along with that. It was never said in court, like one of the boys that killed him, they got away with manslaughter and robbery with intent went in a home, I pointed a gun at my son's face, shot him between the eye, and got away with manslaughter. And why, was was it a jury that decided that? No, because it was a plea bargain. He was charged with, they were charged with second degree murder. And it was supposed to go to prelims, but none of the witnesses would show up. 
only one of the witnesses showed up because all the rest of them were threatened. So then they went so and plea bargained with they this? They gave him a plea bargain and he agreed to a, to guilty, that he would play, plead guilty to manslaughter and he was convicted of 13 years. Convicted oh. of manslaughter and got sentenced. 13 years, the other one was convicted of armed robbery. Yeah. And what was Sherwin Pelche? Sherwin Pelche pulled the trigger and he got 13 years. Don't know how you get away with manslaughter when you travel across the city and you enter somebody's home to rob them with a loaded gun. Like, uh, uh, that was premeditated. If you didn't have intent of harming somebody, then you wouldn't have had a loaded gun. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. I don't even understand how, how that could not be super clear in the eyes of the law. You enter a home right. with a loaded gun, well, what do you think someone's planning to do with it? The week before Tyrus was murdered, there was an altercation between Tyrus and the gun-wielding maniac who killed him. So it seems very suspicious that when these two hooligans broke into the house with weapons, at least one of them being a loaded gun ready to be shot, the killer realizes that Tyrus is there. Tyrus, the guy he had an altercation with the week before. The guy that made him angry. The guy that he sees sitting on the couch. They turn to leave. And then he goes back in to continue the previous week's confrontation and kills Tyrus, shooting him in the face. Isn't that intent? Breaking into a house with a loaded gun, seeing someone you had previously argued with, turning to leave, and then going back in with your finger on the trigger? And that's not intent. Wow. I find it very distressing at times how the judicial system works. Tyrus was someone's child. Regardless of the road that he was traveling down at that moment, someone's son was shot and murdered. Two people with a loaded gun and a machete do not break into a house to have a tea party. And then to decide to have the murderer plead to a lesser charge without speaking to the family first about it? Just plain angers me. We weren't even given details what happened to him until the day of sentencing. And because it didn't go to trial, we never got to hear the witnesses talk. I never got to see the witnesses' statements or anything. So the plea bargain robbed you of that. You weren't able to hear anything because it's just a plea bargain. They go straight to jail. There's no sort of sentencing yeah. hearing. Yeah. Or fate. I got to hear what bits and pieces of the statements that the lawyers and the Crown chose to read aloud in court. And that was it. Now, how did you yeah. feel about that? Did you feel that having the plea bargain was sort of at all in any way easier on your family because you didn't have to go through the whole system or would you have really wanted to be able to go through the whole system? They claim that they did it that way to spare the family from having to go through hearing the gory details of what happened that night, but I don't agree with it. He was my son. I also don't think that if the boys went to jail for 25 years, it would have been just enough either. So. Of course not. That's right. right? Like, now, my opinion's biased, like, honestly. Yes. But I still like, think there should be communication between, you know, the prosecutor and the family, to at least in, in plea bargain cases, to make sure that the family feels comfortable, that they are okay with the plea bargain, and, and that you don't want to sit through the court hearing. Because if you want to hear everything, you should have the right to be able to hear everything, in my opinion. But that's not the way it is. You, we weren't even, I wasn't even informed that the charges were being changed or lessened until the day we went to court expecting for the prelims to start. Oh. And then I got pulled out of the courtroom by the Crown Prosecutor, Rob Parker, and he took me in a little room and informed me that none of the witnesses showed up to take the stand and testify 
and he didn't have enough evidence to guarantee a conviction on second-degree murder, and that if they're, they plead not guilty and they're found not guilty, they walk, but that he could guarantee a conviction on manslaughter. Mr. Pelche agreed to a guilty plea of manslaughter. And I'm like, so I don't even get a say in this. And I asked, what about the driver of the vehicle, the girl who drove the boys to shoot my son? She was never charged with anything. How do you get away with that? Oh. The witnesses that were supposed to testify at the prelims, how do you get subpoenaed to testify and then not show up for a murder preliminary trial and not be charged? Oh, I don't even understand that. Like, if I got a subpoena to show up in court, I had no idea it was an, an option. I thought a subpoena meant you have to right? be there. I had no idea. Of course. You could just go, no, I'm not showing up for of that. Course. I'm, I'm going to move two provinces away instead. Bye. Yes. So the prosecutor yeah. made it easier on him. I'm sorry, because this was a murder case. And that would have been okay had they have spoken to you and you felt comfortable with it because you know you didn't want them to get off or whatever nonsense they're talking about but to just go ahead and yeah. make the plea bargain that's just completely wrong i'm sorry wrong they erred 100 yeah. percent. they are wrong so what is the number one thing you would want the listeners to know about tyros um that he wasn't a gangster like the news and everything portrayed he wasn't a bad guy he was just exactly what we said. Like, yeah, he he's seen some dark places and he didn't always make the best choices, but he was a good kid. My son would have never walked into a home with a loaded gun and shot someone. The family difficulties after traumas like this only continued with the challenges this family had trying to deal with the police afterward. Here you are planning your child's funeral and you are grief-stricken living in shock not knowing how to proceed trying to process the fact that your son is dead has been murdered not knowing where to turn or where or how to ask for help i'm trying to find a good enough quality recent picture of Tyrus to put on his headstone because I'm trying to plan his burial because I just cremated him and kept him home. The police aren't wanting to give me his phone back still and said, Stacy, what phone are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for Tyrus's iPhone. And he said, what color was it? I said, I was told you guys have a dark iPhone with a cracked screen, an older iPhone. And the officer says, Stacy, I don't know who told you that, but the phone that I have here that was in Tyrus's pocket is a brand new pink iPhone that's not even set up, doesn't even have a SIM card. And I said, that's not my son's phone. We had given them access to Tyrus's Facebook, which the family, I guess, up until now, we've never shared that with anybody. Nobody knows that, that we gave them access to Tyrus's Facebook. Okay. We got on his Facebook, he had all his information where we could locate it, thank goodness, and all his iPhone information was all written down and we found it. So we gave the police access to his Facebook in hopes that they could find out what happened that night, right? Was there threatening messages? What went on? Who was he supposed to meet? Obviously, we know that there was a shipment of drugs that Ryan Polupski had just picked up and that that's what McNabb and Pelshay were there to rob him for, but we thought maybe there was info stating who tipped Pelshay and McNabb off to the shipment or, you know, just hopefully some answers. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you did the right thing for sure, of course. Absolutely, 100%. You were trying to help and aid in the investigation. Never, we could never access his actual phone because I couldn't guess his password to his iPhone and Apple will not help you. They don't care if you're if somebody is killed or what, they will not help you get onto somebody's phone. Even if the anyway, police ask, no? No. <laughs> nope. And we have Tyrus's Apple ID and Apple password and they they said that if we don't have his personal passcode to that phone, they can't help us get on it. Oh boy. So anyway, 
lost cause. I didn't get to pick a photo from his phone. I was hoping, like, all of his Snapchat photos are in there and all of his Facebook photos and stuff, right? Like, all of his photos he's taken are on that phone. They're not even on that SIM card. We've pulled the SIM card. They're in the hard memory of his phone. Right. So that was a lost cause. But what the upsetting part was is when they were investigating his death, they were trying to get onto the wrong phone. Oh, my goodness. His actual phone remained sealed in a bag. Oh, and this was after the court case? So the, the people had already been... Yeah. Char- oh, my goodness. That had already been sentenced. And I'm like, so you guys were trying to access the wrong phone the that- entire time. That's atrocious. That is atrocious. I'm so sorry to hear that. That is just, what a bungled police investigation. That's all I can say. My goodness. And nobody has answers to me who you put complaints into or like everybody just fluffs it off. Like I asked to talk to the the chief of police and like nobody has answers. Nobody has answers. Nobody seems to know where you can go to make complaints on how his case was handled. What about to the police? What type of advice could you give to them? Or what, what could they do to improve the way they handle things? I mean, the one officer was absolutely wonderful with us. Murray Rice, absolutely wonderful, has always been wonderful. But as for the rest of them, I don't know. I think they handled my son's case pretty sloppy. Yeah, so for you, it's not more what you could say for advice, but you'd give a sh- you'd give kudos to this uh, Murray Rice police officer oh, yeah. that he did and, such yeah. a good job. Well, that's great. That's great. I just, you know, I wish, I just wish, they, you know, when they're investigating a death and stuff like that, they're not just a statistic. Right. They're not just another gangster who lost his life because of the choices he made. He was somebody's son. It was somebody's brother. So I wish they would, when investigating stuff, treat it more like it's their child they're investigating the death of, or their brother. And maybe they put a little more effort into it. They are not equipped to deal with this level of grief. After living through all of this, it is hard for the families to ever think that they will be able to get through a day without falling to their knees and losing the ability to think clearly, feeling like they can't breathe, feeling like they will never have clear and concise thoughts again. I begged my doctor to send me to see a shrink because I thought I was crazy. I was convinced I was crazy that through the traumatic loss of him, that something snapped inside my brain. But apparently it's just complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I'm not okay with loud noises. I don't know why. I didn't see Tyrus get shot, but fireworks or anything like that will instantly trigger an anxiety attack. Like full-blown, my heart races, I can't breathe. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's, It's just amazing how these animals out there that go and kill people they they don't only take the life of the victim, but they take part of the life of everyone that's around them because it changes everything about you. And look, you're yeah. having you're having reactions to loud sounds because it triggers something inside of you about the death of your son. I mean, it's just so sad. It, you know, it, it's just horrible that yeah. That and I think that I choose to not watch TV because I didn't realize that you can't watch TV without guns. Is there any advice you can give to the listeners that may be going through a similar tragedy that you could help them maybe to get through those early days or through the long term? Talk about it. Reach out. So many people are scared to reach out for help, right? Like, I thought I was crazy, but I'm not crazy. You just see things differently after you feel things differently, right? You're more aware of how precious life is yeah his close friend Bailey was killed six months before him and Bailey's family reached out to us they were a light in our darkness and reached out and helped guide us kind of on our way um Bailey's mom and I we still talk we help each other 
you need someone who's equipped to deal with the anger and the anxiety and the fears and like it's a whole nother like I lost my brother a year before I lost my son I lost my brother to an overdose and the grief I had with that as compared to and how I dealt with it as in compared to the grief of losing tyrants to being murdered and how I've dealt with it it it's like I'm two different people that's how different it's been Right. Well, see, now that's great advice. There you go. That's really well said. I mean, it's uh, it's that uh, that's something that they the police should be looking at is pointing them and not like just the victim services pointing you in the direction of a psychologist, but specific people who are equipped to deal with someone who's the loved one of a murder victim. So that's very well said. Really, really good. I I think that can be very helpful to everybody out there. Listeners, uh, police officers right. i mean it's very important to understand that it is a completely different type of grief and it's something that needs to be dealt with in a very specific way so finish off with a last a last thought on tyros that you would like to say something from your heart that you'd really like to say to him or just say in general or something about him i made a promise to him when i buried him that i wouldn't rest until the whole truth came out on what really happened to him that night. And I love him to the end of this earth. And I won't rest until the whole truth comes out. Thank you for your time. I just okay. hope it encourages other people. Yes. Tell Ag their story. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to have been able to tell Tyrus's story. Me too. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, -face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E m-u-r-d-e-r-e-d -E -E at gmail.com Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.